0: This is Commander Mark Devine coming at you from the Unbeatable Mind podcast. I am super, super stoked to have as a guest today Eric Greitens, who's a teammate of mine, although we haven't met in person yet until today. So I'm super stoked to to meet Eric in person and to have a conversation together with you all. Um, So stand by, it's going to be great. But before uh, we get started, I'd like to remind you that if you're listening to this on iTunes, that you're missing out if you're not on our email list, uh, because we have a lot of cool things, cool offers. We have a weekly SealFit TV episode that goes out, my blog, a lot of offers that are just available for the SealFit and the Unbuild Mind Tribe. So go to sealfit.com and please put your name in the email opt-in form there. You won't be disappointed. All right, so I'm going to read this incredible bio of Eric's. I mean, this this man has really, really an, an accomplished man. I'm, I'm and I know he's just getting warmed up, so we're going to have some really cool things to talk about. All right, so Eric Greitens, born in 74. Uh, he is a nonprofit leader, actually. That's one of his primary things, and he's an author, um, wrote a couple fantastic books. Uh, my favorite, The Heart and the, Fish, uh, Heart and the Fist, uh, Education of a Humanitarian, The Making of a Navy Seal, which is his memoir, and his new book called Resilience, which I haven't read yet. but We're going to talk a lot about today, hard won Wisdom for Living a Better Life. Um, he is, was a former Navy SEAL. Uh, he was a former Truman and Rhodes Scholar. He founded the nonprofit The Mission Continues, which helps vets uh, get you know, really engaged in purposeful work once they get out of their military career uh, through community service. He was named by Time Magazine uh, to be one of the, most, the 100 most influential people in the world. Wow, that's incredible, Eric. And then uh, also Fortune Magazine identified him as one of the 50 greatest leaders in the world. Wow. Nice kudos there. Um, he went to Duke University where he studied ethics and philosophy and public policy. Um, went to BUDS in uh, class 237, a little bit past uh, my time. And he was a White House fellow. Good Lord. Is there anything you haven't done yet, Rob? <laughs> <Okay>. That's I <awesome. laughs> got, 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 got a lot of good stuff still to do. yeah, I've yeah, been true. having fun, man. Uh sounds like a, just an incredibly varied uh, experience, and um, I'm super excited to get you know into into some of the more interesting things that you've done and some of your lessons learned. Um, but before we kind of before I get into too many questions, let, let me give you a, the opportunity to introduce introduce yourself to Seal Fit and Unbeatable Mind. You know who is Eric Greitens? Where, where are you from? You know um, what was your early what were your early years like that kind of provided the foundation for such great accomplishment?
1: Well, Mark, first of all, thanks a lot, man, for having me on it. It's really, really cool to be on with you. I have tremendous affirmation uh, for what you do, uh, for everybody in SEAL Fit who's out there kind of pushing themselves and and, and challenging themselves, and I'm really excited about our our conversation today. Um, You know, I I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, My mom was an early childhood special education teacher. Uh, My dad worked for the Department of Agriculture. I think I was really fortunate growing up to have lots of good teachers, mentors and coaches who always pushed me, you know, and they, they pushed me in different ways, pushed me academically, uh, pushed me on the athletic field. And they also really pushed me to find ways to be of service to others. You know, one guy who was important to me was a guy named Bruce Carl. For one time, Bruce said, he said, hey, Eric, we're going to go down this weekend and do it service project at a homeless shelter and i i'd done a couple little service projects before and he said and he said we're going to go down and we're going to spend the night there and for a 16 year old kid like the idea of spending a night in a homeless shelter was a little bit little bit scary but you know what was great about bruce was he always said to me and to all the other um, kids we worked with he said you know if you really approach the world with humility and you're open to learning, you can start to make a difference in the lives of people right now. And he didn't say you gotta wait till you graduate from high school, you gotta wait till you graduate from, from college. The idea was, you know, if you approach the world with humility and you recognize that you have something to offer, you can start to make a difference. And I was just really fortunate, Mark. I had a lot of really good coaches and mentors and, and teachers like Bruce who helped, helped to guide me along the way. That's terrific. So so your Sunday school teacher got
0: you interested in in service and volunteering and, um, nonprofit work, which then you kind of went into as your first career. Am I right? Is that, that what you did after, um, after college and after your work at Oxford or how, how did that come about?
1: Yeah, Mark, I mean, even when I was in college, um, when I was 20 years old, I had a, uh, a professor of mine who asked me if I wanted to go uh, to work with him in Bosnia. So this was this was 1994, and as you remember, of course, there were you know vicious campaigns of ethnic cleansing that were happening uh, in Bosnia. And my professor asked me if I wanted to go overseas, and I went with him. And I just lived and worked in refugee camps, and it was amazing to see what happened. You know, when people stepped off of the buses into a refugee camp, these were people who had lost every material possession they ever owned. They stepped off of the buses to start this new this new life. There I was. I was twenty years old, and one of the things that I saw that was really interesting then, this kind of applies to some of the work I do today, is that I saw that a lot of times the people who were doing the best in the camps, Mark, they were parents and grandparents who had really young kids. Mm-hmm. Um, the people who were struggling the most were the people who were my age. You know, they were older teenagers, young adults, and they felt like their life had been cut short, but they didn't yet really feel like there was anybody who was counting on them to be strong. So. Starting in college, I started doing some international humanitarian work. I did that work in Bosnia. I worked with, with kids who'd been abandoned and abused, kids in Rwanda, kids in Children of the Street in Bolivia, kids in Cambodia who'd lost limbs to landmines. And a lot of that work really in, enforced in me the idea that it wasn't enough to just respond to the world with compassion, that the wor- world also needed. Uh, people who'd be willing to stand up and to serve with courage if you really wanted to help people. Wow. These um, different programs, was
0: it, was it through a church or you know, how did you, you know, help, help us understand how you got involved in such really important and, and you know, obviously kind of dangerous but, but interesting adventures where you were able to help these people find purpose again in life. I mean, was, what was the vehicle for you to get involved in that stuff?
1: You know, there were a lot of there. There were a number of different vehicles. Um, what was nice was, in most of these places, I was you know I was living in a refugee camp or, or living in a home for children of the street in Bolivia. So I, it didn't cost me a lot of money to get there. Right. And there, there were there were some some grants for you know doing documentary photography work. There was one you know grant for a kid who wanted to go overseas to do service. So I'd kind of apply for these grants basically scrape enough money together for, um, a plane ticket and for a little bit of black and white film. And then, and then I'd get over there and, you know, in each place was different. So in Bolivia, for example, I was working in a home for children of the street. Um, these were kids, as you know, there are hundreds of kids, thousands of kids in places like Santa Cruz, Bolivia who wake up every day. They spend their days begging, uh, selling gum and cigarettes, some of them shining shoes. And I, I was working. In a home for children of the street. And then at night I would go out and actually be on the streets with some of the kids and, um, and did a little bit of uh, photography work there, talk with some of the kids on the streets. And it was all just, it was very simple work, Mark. I mean, I wasn't making a huge difference, but for me, it was really important, um, to kind of see the world and to understand it at that real ground level and start working with people in in a really simple way. Do you
0: have any, like, super uh, cool success stories that, you know, inspire you to this day? You know, did you, did you see these, uh, any of these kids break out and actually find their lives to be, you know, improved through the service of you and the others that were over there?
1: Yeah, what was really cool was just um, – this was a couple years ago now, actually. I got in touch with the folks, who, Jason and Caroline Bernhardt-Lignier, who ran the Home for Children of the Street in Bolivia. And I told him I was going to be coming by D.C. and their house was was outside of D.C. So, so I went by, came over for dinner and Jason said to me, hey, we've got a surprise for you. And w- the surprise was that there was this kid named Eddie who, when I was in Bolivia, was a 14 year old. He'd been a child of the street and he worked kind of as a volunteer with other children of the street. And it turned out. But Eddie had found a way. Uh, He made it to the United States of America, and he started his own business. And it was basically a a custodial services business. And he was a small business owner now living outside of Washington, D.C. And this was a guy who had been, you know, an abandoned kid on the streets of Santa Cruz, Bolivia. So that was really cool. Wow. That is cruel. You know,
0: I personally can see the link, you know, between – doing humanitarian work around the world and the Navy SEALs. But a lot of our a lot of our listeners might have no idea how you could make the leap from doing, you know, the work you were doing in Bolivia around the world, then all of a sudden becoming an elite warrior. So how did that come about? And tell me, you know, tell us, you know, what was on your mind back then when you decided to become a Navy SEAL?
1: Yes. So part of it, Mark, you know, I mean, I remember one time I was in the refugee camps in Bosnia. And this guy called me into his, his shelter. And I was talking with him. And he said, Eric, he said, don't misunderstand me. He said, please, he said, I'm, I'm really glad that you're here. And he said, I, I appreciate the fact that there's a roof over my head that the international community provided. I appreciate the fact that there's food for my kids to eat. I appreciate that there's even this little kindergarten where they can go to school. He said, but if people really cared about us, and they'd be willing to stand with us. They'd be willing to help to protect us, because that's really what we need. And I, I didn't know what to say to him at the time. I was I was twenty years old. But I but I realized later, looking back, that what he said was true, that if you really care about anything, then you're willing to respond not only with compassion, but you're also willing to respond with courage. We're willing to protect and stand up for those things that we that we care about. And I saw this happening in Bosnia. The next summer, I was in Rwanda, where eight hundred thousand to a million people had been killed in a in a genocide. I did work in in Albania with, with orphans as refugees were coming down from Kosovo, and I just came to believe very strongly that the world needs people to stand up and to find ways to be of service and to offer protection, and that that's really what it means to be to be a warrior. That it's not. It's not about your training, though that's part of it. It's not just about you know how you prepare yourself, but it's also about the purpose that you, that you serve, that you, you, you commit yourself to serving a purpose that's larger than yourself. And, and that's one of the things that led me to, to look at the military and then the, the SEAL teams now. I mean it's also true. I mean I, I joined relatively late. I was I was 26 years old, but I still harbored 18-year-old desires to jump out of planes and to right. scuba dive and to blow things. I mean all of, of that kind of attracted me as well and I wanted the test of the SEAL teams, but but it was, you know, that idea that we got we have, we all have to serve a purpose that's larger than
0: ourselves. Yeah, I love that. I mean that that syncs up beautifully with with what we talk about in SEAL fit and, and that we're developing, you know, a new breed of warrior that is committed to self-mastery but in service to humanity. And, you know, it sounds to me that, that you shared that, you know, kind of, that kind of vision. So, um, you went through what Bud's
1: class 237. What year was that? Yep. So that was, I started in 2001 and uh, we graduated in 2002. So we were actually in Bud's, uh, on September 11th, 2001. No kidding. Yeah. must've been interesting.
0: Wow. So tell me about your Bud's experience. I mean, it's always fun to talk about that. What, how many people were in your class? How many graduated? What, what was it like? What were, the, what were the things that got you through the training?
1: Well, you know, I mean, I, I had an incredible time in Buds. and I mean, I'm sure you've shared uh, with your folks before the, the famous uh, phrase that it's the best time you never want to have again, right? <laughs> right. And, 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 it, and it was. It was an incredibly good time. And I look back on it with, with great fondness. I've had friends uh, for a lifetime from my my bud's class. And you know, we started in our indoc phase before we actually classed up for um for phase one. In our indoc phase, we had over 220 people in our class. Um, I think we had 21 originals from class 237 uh, who actually graduated. Now, of course, other guys rolled into the class um who graduated with us, but it was only about 21 of us were original to, to 237. Mm. And, you know, I, I think for me and for a lot of people who went through the training, and I'm sure this was similar experience to you. You get to a place where things are so hard, they're so painful, they're so difficult. I remember one time I was running down the, the beach during uh, log PT and I'm holding on to this log and my, my arms are burning and searing in a way that, you know, it's unlike most physical training. It's just like, it's just a burning like every fiber in your body. And I remember thinking to myself that if I were alone, I might drop the log right now. But you've got somebody to your left, you got somebody to your right, and they're counting on you. And you know that you have to find a way to be strong for them. And I think one of the things that helps people to make it through that training is, abil- is the ability to step outside of your own self-concern, step outside of your own pain, and remember the fact that there are other people who are counting on you to be strong.
0: Absolutely. I love that because I, I think that's a key teaching also, if you'll fit in that you know, by, by taking your eyes off yourself and really putting them on your team, you do transcend, you know, you transcend this notion that it's all about you and then transcend to a higher level of consciousness where your team is, you know, equally as important. So you're, you know, that development of self mastery is is so you can serve your team as well. And that, that is done, you know, is kind of inked into us through the trial and tribulation of, of SEAL training. It's, uh, that's why, why it's so powerful. That's fantastic. So before I go on, because I, I want want to uh, keep, you know, kind of going through your careers. It's so fascinating. But I, I don't want to leave these three questions that I always like to ask our guests. And sure. they are really about defining, you know, personal ethos. One of the books I wrote was called The Way of the Seal. And then very early in that book, I you know, I basically encouraged people to live by an ethos because, you know, in the SEAL teams, that was something that was important to us. You know, when I went through training, we didn't have the SEAL ethos written down. It wasn't until, you know, your, your years, like I think 2006 or seven, where it finally was written down. Um, but anyway, so it's so important to live by an ethos, and I'm sure you agree. So what, you know, first off, let me ask you, what is it, you've already articulated it pretty clearly, but in today's version of, of Eric you know, Greitens, what is it that you're most passionate about? <laughs>
1: Well, you know, one of the things that I think is is really cool in all of our lives is that we have this opportunity to be passionate in lots of different lots of different ways, right? And that in a really full and flourishing life, we have lots of different passions. And one of them for me, Mark, is that I, I'm a new dad, yeah. um, and that's a that's a lot of fun. I got a I got a boy at home, Joshua, who's eight and a half months old, and he is is a ton of fun, he's a lot of energy, and it actually makes you reflect on your own life a little bit, you know, the process, the process of becoming a father. And it certainly made me appreciate my own dad um, even more. Uh, you know, Joshua's name, his name is Joshua August. He's named after my uh, paternal grandfather, August Greitens, who was a career guy in the United States Navy. He was on the USS Enterprise during World War II mm. and had fought throughout the Pacific. And he died when my dad was six years old. And so, my dad grew up, him and his two sisters. Uh, his mother was a, a shoe saleswoman, and I remember he always wished that he had a dad and When we were growing up, I remember my dad would get up at at four thirty in the morning to catch the bus to work or to jump in the carpool and so that he could be home for me and my brothers when we got home uh, from school and I think, you know, when I think about how I kind of achieve excellence in my life now and what I'm passionate about, I know that if at the end of my life I can be as good of a son to my, a good a father to my son as my dad was to me, that I'll, be, I'll be really pleased with that.
0: That's fantastic. I love that. Kids, you know, bring us a lot of humility, doesn't it? I mean, don't they? Yes. So you, you kind of alluded to my second question is what do you consider to be your purpose um, and your unique gift to the world? It's pretty clear that you're fulfilling it, but I think it's important, you know, for all of us to really align with that and, and to get clear about yes. what it is. It's not easy, but you're, you're fortunate that it sounds like it came to you pretty early in life. So, how would you define your purpose and your unique gift to the world?
1: You know, for me, I think um, I always tell people, and, and I, I try and follow my own my own advice in this way. Like, I, I have a lot of people who come to me and say, like, I'm trying to find my purpose, and I'm trying to figure it out. And one of the things that I always say is, I say, like, to people, look, you're. You're, you're never going to find your purpose because your purpose is not lost. Right? <laughs> that you, you, your, your purpose is something that you create and that purpose isn't really found, but it's forged and it's forged to the actions that you take and the things that you do. So, you know, one of my, my purposes in life right now is just like, you know, you're in a process of kind of taking what you've learned and figuring out how you can share it with other people through seal fit to make them better, to make them stronger. Uh, with this resilience book, one of the things that I'm trying to do is to help people figure out how do you deal with pain? How do you deal with wisdom? How do you, I, I, I'm sorry, how do you deal with pain, with suffering, with fear? And how do you do so in such a way that you can move through pain to wisdom? How do, you do, how do you confront suffering so that you can be stronger on the other side? How do you move through fear so that you can become more courageous on the other side? And, you know, you and I know, and and we were very fortunate to be formed in in a certain way by by experiences that we had, that oftentimes those times of greatest growth in our life come when things are hard. But unfortunately, we live in a culture today where a lot of times people recognize how important it is to be resilient, but they don't often figure out like what are the constituent elements that, that actually make people resilient and how do you actually adopt practices, build them into your life so that you can build resilience. So one of the things that I'm really passionate about now is, is trying to take some of what I've learned from working with veterans for the last seven years and figure out how it, we can help all people to build resilience in their lives and in the lives of their families and their teams.
0: That's terrific. So let's talk about that because that segues into kind of your nonprofit work, which is, you know, you living out your purpose through The Mission Continues. Tell me about yes. that. How, how did that get started? And um, clearly, you know, a lot of the vets you work with are, are healthy, uh, but I'm sure a, a number of them do have, uh, you know, mental uh, issues with PTSD and, and other things like that. So, you know, how, how does it work? How, just just tell us about it. You know, <laughs> I want to ask yeah. 10 questions and then <laughs> go <after that> off. <laughs> For
1: sure. So you know, we started the mission. continues started um, after my last deployment to Iraq in 2007. So I've been serving as a commander in al Qaeda kind of targeting cell. Uh, my units, my unit was hit by a suicide truck bomb uh, March 28, 07. Uh, mm-hmm. I was really fortunate, Mark. I was taken to the Fallujah Surgical Hospital, treated. I was able to return to duty 72 hours later. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of my friends were hurt far worse than I was. And when I came home, I went to Bethesda, the Naval Hospital, and I went to visit with some of the, the Marines who I was serving with and some other young Marines who uh, who had come back. And you go in and you talk with a lot of these young guys and you ask them, what do you want to do when you recover? And they all said I all they all wanted to return to their unit. Um, but the harsh reality was that a lot of them were not going to be able to return to their unit, certainly not right away. And what I knew from doing that humanitarian work in Bosnia, Rwanda, Cambodia was the hardest injury for people to overcome is rarely physical. The hardest injury that, that hits people is when they lose their sense of purpose, right. they lose their sense of team. So, you know, I, I called a couple of my buddies and we decided to do something about it. So they put in the money from their disability checks. I donated my combat from Iraq and we started an organization called The Mission Continues where we help veterans as they come home to continue their mission of public service. They report for duty in their community and they go to work at Habitat for Humanity, at Big Brothers Big Sisters, at Boys and Girls Clubs. We put them through a curriculum that's designed to help them to build resilience and then on the other end of that, they come out and they start their own businesses. They go back to you know private sector employment. Some of them go back to school. But we really help them transition so that they can continue to live purposeful, productive, and meaningful lives again here at home.
0: That's fantastic.
1: Thanks, man. Thanks. It's a lot of fun. I was just this weekend – we had another group of uh, veterans start. They started our, our orientation program. We're out at a big service project here um, in St. Louis in the, the Ferguson-Florissant School District. We had over 100 veterans out, and we were just building and serving at this kind of outdoor classroom. Guys were building decks and painting and you know planting. It was really, really cool. So
0: how does it work technically for the vet? Is it, do they Do they go through a cohort, or can you just kind of like contact? and and just start working with The Mission Continues? How does it work? What's the process?
1: Yeah, so they they reach out to The Mission Continues, and one of our fellowship program associates kind of talks them through how, how the program works. And basically what happens is that someone applies to The Mission Continues, and we help them To find a partner organization in their community. Now, this organization might be, you know, might be a school district. It might be Habitat for Humanity. It might be that they want to be a martial arts coach. It might be that they want to be a tutor for, for young kids, but they go to that community partner and working with that community partner. What they do is they set up a series of objectives over the course of six months that they're going to achieve during, doing their work in the community. They also, at the same time when they apply to us, they set up a series of objectives of what they're going to achieve in their personal life so that they can execute an exit strategy at the end of those six months. So, for example, they're going to apply to college. They're going to find three private sector mentors. They're going to get their resume together. All of those things are in the application package. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, they apply, they come to one of our orientation weekends, like we, we just had this past weekend, and we'll have another one in a couple of months. They come together, they meet with veterans around the country who are all engaged in the same or similar missions of coming back and serving again. And then after the orientation, they return to their communities, and they start or serving, they start their personal strategy, and they also engage in this curriculum to help them to, to build resilience along the way. That's terrific.
0: You know, it occurred to me that um, we, we have some vets. We've had, um, uh, in fact, I'm thinking about one guy who's now becoming on his path to becoming a SEAL fit uh, coach, who is a former Marine who lost his leg in Afghanistan. And mm-hmm. he found incredible inspiration to come back through uh, SEAL fit training and to be treated, you know, like an equal as, a, as a, you know important member of the team. Yes. And, you know, I would like to, to follow up and offer you guys a maybe an annual scholarship. You know, for any vet who would be interested in in kind of getting back on their feet, so to speak, through our training. And I know it's not necessarily community service, but it could be an important part of them helping uh, find their purpose again and then uh, go out and, you know, apply that in life.
1: That's very generous of you, brother, and we will we will take you up on that for sure. I think that there are I t- was a ton of guys who, who would love to to do that. I mean, I've, okay. I've looked into your your training a little bit, and it's obvious that, that it would be a, a tremendous benefit to anybody, and I'm sure be very meaningful. It's very kind of you, Mark. We'll, yeah, we'll I, look, do that. I look forward to following up, um, and and I'll,
0: I'll probably drop an email to uh, your assistant, or you know, we can follow up on that later. For sure, man. Very cool. So with your book Resilience, it's now out. I, I actually just ordered it. Um, on Amazon while I was talking to you. I can't wait to read it. Tell us, you know, is there one or two stories that you really, you know, really strike you as as super cool that you're, you know, you'd like to share with us from the book?
1: Yeah, you know, I'll tell you just kind of the, the story of how the, the book got started. So the book got started when when a buddy of mine who went through BUDS with me called me. Um, so it was a guy named Zach Walker who was in my BUDS class. And Zach was a one of the toughest guys in our class. He was a kid from a Northern California logging family. And Zapp is the kind of guy, even standing in uniform in a perfectly pressed uniform and spit shine boots, uh, he still looked like he had just run out of the woods after wrestling a mountain lion, right? <laughs> and it's not, it's not that he was dirty in any way. It's just like you cannot shine the tough out of this guy. Right. And what happened was, you know, we went through BUDS together. I stayed on the West Coast. He went to the East Coast. And then he went off, did a couple deployments, came back from a combat deployment from Afghanistan. Came home, he bought a concrete pumper, started a concrete business. He was an entrepreneur, a good father to his two young kids. Everything's going well for him, Mark. And then his life was just hammered by hardship. Mm-hmm. And his brother died. He lost his business. And then what happened is that one day he pulls his truck into his driveway. He gets out and he immediately drops to the ground because he thinks there's a sniper watching him. He lays there for a couple of hours, and then he gets up, and he runs into the house, and he realizes, oh, man, I have got post-traumatic stress. And then what happened is that Zach started drinking, and Zach did nothing in moderation. So on the weekend, it was not a six-pack cooler full of beer that he'd be working through, and he called me after he'd been arrested. So now my buddy who was the Navy SEAL, welcomed home as a war hero, entrepreneur, good father, was now an unemployed alcoholic on disability who was looking at the prospect of having his kids come to visit him in jail. Um, We talked that night, and then when I got home, I started writing Zach a letter. He wrote back to me. In the book, Resilience is a book of 23 letters to my friend about how you build resilience in your life, how you actually deal with hardship and become better. So
0: it was a dialogue that you had with, with Zach. Yes. Over the course of a year or two. Yeah, years. exactly. That's fantastic. Exactly.
1: Wow. exactly. Yeah. And and the idea is that, you know, there's a lot of wisdom out there in our philosophical and religious traditions about how you deal with pain, how to deal with hardship and, and with suffering. But today in an age of distraction, a lot of times people either don't connect to that wisdom or if they do, they're not sure quite how to apply it to their lives. And so these are just, you know, letters to my buddy, to my friend who I love, telling him about things he could do in a really practical way to help him dig out and and, uh, and, and build a stronger life.
0: And how did that turn out for Zach?
1: Well, re- really well, really well. In fact, he's, I just talked to him a, a couple of days ago. Um, I mean what what was great for Zach was that he took all of these lessons. You know, we talk about how to deal with fear and create excellence, how to follow models through through pain, and he applied those to his life. We talked with him about how to begin to take responsibility for your life, even when everything feels out of control, about how people build purpose in the face of pain. And what's really neat for him right now. I just talked to him the other day. One of the things he started to do is he started coaching. He had a buddy who asked him if he would come out and do some assistant coaching on a football team. He went out there. He coached for a while. and He came back, and he said to me, he said, Eric, I was out there for two hours. and For two hours, I did not think for a moment about myself or any of my problems, my issues. I was helping these kids, and we were pushing them and challenging them. And he came back and said, Well, what, what should I do? I said, man, do more, man. Like go out there and keep keep doing that. So so he went, he went back out. He kept coaching. And this season, Mark, he's actually coaching his own baseball team. And so just a couple weeks ago, he had his he had his home opener. And I was talking to him the day before the home opener. And he said, You know what's been so neat about this? He said, he said I think I've got all of the kids who are really bad. <laughs> he's like He's like, all of the kids are really bad. They seem to just be attracted to me as a coach. And he said, I think it's because they know that I'm not going to quit on them. He said, I think it's because they sense that I, I believe in them and I, I believe that they have something to contribute and I'm going to push them. And so he was, was. He told me their home opener was a five inning uh, game and in the bottom of the fifth, they had a lead going into the bottom of the fifth and they, they lost the lead. The kids lost the game at the end. And he, and he said, but you know what? He said, the one thing I know about these kids is that they also are going to be resilient. And so uh, so it's really, really cool to see where Zach's at now. He's healthier, and he's obviously helping, you know, these kids to get better as well.
0: That's terrific.
1: So folks who are listening,
0: um, you know, this sounds like a terrific book. I can't wait to get it. Uh, it has 81 five-star, you know, ratings already for in the reviews. And, you know, it, it sounds to me like it's going to be a great read. It's not a prescription. It's It's a bunch of... It's a very heartfelt communication you had with Zach. That's neat. I love that idea. That's very Well, cool. thanks,
1: man. You know, you know what, what's really neat is like when you look back, ancient philosophy, it wasn't in, in textbooks and it wasn't really technical. A lot of ancient philosophy was friends writing letters to each that's other. Right, yeah. that's, what, that's what philosophy was. It wasn't about sitting and, and thinking. It was about thinking and living, you know, right. finding a way to live a good life.
0: I agree. I was just, uh, rereading Marcus Aurelius the other day in meditations. And yes, you know, it's really just his bedside journal. And you know, there's some poems and some letters. (laughs) You're absolutely right. His his philosophy just kind of like, he just kind of jotted down.
1: It's pretty cool. So it's, it's. Very real. One of the things I I love about Marcus Aurelius too is he says to himself, he says, "You know, why are you why are you upset that this man smells like an old goat?" Right? Like (laughs) it was very it was very real. Like he was, you know, he was trying to figure out how do I take these ideas and help me me to live a better life, and that was what I was trying to do with with my buddy in in resilience. That's terrific. I got a quote of Marcus Aurelius on my
0: desk. I'll read it just for the benefit of the listeners. For sure. So he's a great Stoic philosopher. The quote is, "Your disposition will be suitable." To that which you most frequently think on, for the soul is as it were tinged with the color and complexion of its own thoughts. Your life is what your thoughts make it. That's very cool, man. Very cool, That's man. very solid. It's true too. All right, so a couple more things, and I'll let you go. Um, what is your vision for the future? I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of problems we have, obviously, and you know. We talk about this a lot and be in Unveiled Mind, we're kind of stepping up to be sheepdogs as a community and tribe so that we can be part of the solution and, you know, through changing human consciousness, because technology is not going to solve what we're doing and governments aren't going to solve what we're doing. We're quite aware, you know, aware of that. But so what, what is your vision of the future? Help us understand where you think we're going.
1: You know, one of the things that I've seen so powerfully over the course of the last eight years working with veterans who've come home is that solutions reside in action and they reside in action that people take when we we allow ourselves to be guided not by a morality of intentions but a morality of results when we say to ourselves you know that what what we what matters to us is not just what we intend but what we actually achieve for others uh, and we focus on those results and we take res- responsibility for making a difference in the lives of others that's where you see real change happen. And and we take responsibility and control of our own lives. We take responsibility for making a difference in the lives of others. That's, that's where things um, start to uh, start to work. And so I think if we can drive a culture that begins to embrace more and more of this ethic of responsibility and a focus on the morality of results, I think that uh, I think that gets us gets us really far. Yeah, I like that.
0: Okay, Um, I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that, you know, in spite of your accomplishments. You're just getting warmed up. So tell us what is, you know, what, what's Eric Greitens 3.0 look like? What
1: What is next for you? Well, you know, the, so I, you know, got a bunch of fun stuff going on right now, obviously with the new book and, and with the, my son, Joshua. But one of the things actually I'm, I'm looking at doing, Mark, is I'm thinking about running for governor of Missouri. No kidding. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I I think we really need uh, an innovative uh, approach. I think people are looking for new ideas, and I think that there's there's a recognition out there, just like you said, that these problems are only going to be solved when we have a combination of, of leaders and people who are willing to take responsibility and really dig in and and do things uh, and create results for real people. So that's that's what I'm I'm looking at right now. Well, you'd be an amazing, amazing candidate
0: for that uh, office. Um, I, I think you should stop thinking about it and just do it. That's my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Marcus. i tell you what, I'm we, sta- it, we stand I'm... by to support you in any way that we can here at SealFit, and I'm sure that any of our members who are out in Unveiled Mine would, would – uh, or our, any of our Unveiled Mine and SealFit members who are out in Missouri would be happy to line up to support you in any way we can. So that's very cool. All right. Awesome. Well, Thank you. Awesome. You know, we've kind of been um, run out of time here. I want to be sensitive to uh, the fact that folks are busy out there listening, and and you as well. So, thank you so much. Is there any, uh, you know, f- kind of final thoughts for our listeners that you'd like to leave folks with?
1: Well, you, you know, the the only last thought I, I'd leave Mark is that I'm just uh, again I, I'm so impressed with uh, with you and what the whole Sealfoot community um, is engaged in doing. Uh, the way that you challenge yourself, you challenge other people, um, and and you push them to become their, their best selves and to find ways to, to be of service and, and to make a difference. And so I hope that everybody who's who's listening today and is part of your tribe, you know, continues to, to be a part and, and that uh, that you all continue to to make each other better, man. And I'm I'm proud to to have been on with you just just for a little bit. Ooh yeah. It's been terrific. I really
0: appreciate it. It's been an honor, Eric. Thank you very much. Let's do it again sometime, especially after you decide to run for governor, we can get in and talk, uh, talk politics. would be a lot of fun, actually. Absolutely,
1: brother. It'd be a pleasure to be on with you. All
0: right. All right, folks. Thank you very much again. We'll send a big hoo out to uh, Eric Greitens and wish him luck in his, his future endeavors. Um, again, stay focused, train hard, do the right thing, take meaningful, purposeful action every day, to guide you toward your greater future. Uh, let us know how we can help. So reach out, use the community, you know all that stuff. It's been a great time uh, today talking to Eric and, and uh, being part of this uh, part of this journey with you. Who ya? Coach Devino. Who ya, brother? Thanks,
1: man. boys. Make sure you get home, boys. They got back the pride of the fleet. The bright swinging